Welcome to the Echo Church Podcast. Echo is a group of people in Cincinnati, Ohio, who love Jesus, love hanging out, and are navigating the ups and downs of our faith together. We're glad you're here. You're just meeting someone for the first time. It's always those, like, awkward questions. Like, do you have a go-to question, or do you feel like you don't like those get-to-know-you questions? I feel like in our culture a lot, what do people ask? They kind of ask, what do you do? You hear that a lot. What do you do? So I think it's very much like they're trying to figure out your identity, but it's very much like what you've chosen as a profession. I don't know if you remember the Twitter meme that happened a but I think it was 2018, if you want to click on that slide, is that this person started like a, there was a where are you from, and then people's reactions to this person decided to do a where, what do you do? Chemistry. Really? What kind of chemistry? Organic synthesis. Oh, what's that? It's making new molecules that are mostly made of carbon. Uh, what? Drugs. I make drugs. I live in an RV, and I am Walter White. So just this idea of what do you do? And how does that define you? And what does that say about you? Maybe people start to ask you questions and you realize they're trying to figure out your relationship status. Anybody ever have that? You're trying to figure out, are you married? Are you single? Are you seeing anyone? There's questions that try to figure out what your role is. Maybe in relationship to other people, like you might figure out if someone has kids or grandkids. There's just something about who we are as people and how that relates to others. So then maybe the last thing, maybe we could switch things up. Instead of trying to figure out people's identity based on what they do or who they are in a relationship with, maybe we could ask about people's hobbies. That sounds fun, right? See if people like hiking or skiing or collecting stamps. But because at times it feels like, although it might be an innocent question, sometimes people ask you that and it can feel... First of all, you could kind of start to feel bad because you're like, I'm not doing what I wanted to do or I'm between jobs right now or I just ended a relationship and it's hard and you can't just say that in small talk. It's, it's difficult to sometimes answer these questions. But other times, the answers we receive from other people might give us, you start to form opinions and labels like, well, if, if they're a doctor, then they're this. Or if, if they have kids, then they must be this, right? You start to kind of put people in categories when you find these things about their identity. Well, today we're reading in our series, Hope and Light. We're looking at two letters from two different disciples of Jesus. And they were trying to inform new communities of Christians on what does it look like to live like Jesus. And today's sections of scripture are about the identities that people have, these roles in their work life or their relationship life, and how do we bring Jesus into that. Now, remember if we talked about at the beginning of all this that these are letters, and you look through your Bible, and in the New Testament, there's all these different letters written by someone to someone. So it's written from a person in a context to somebody that's dealing with a certain situation. And these were house churches. They were in different parts of the Roman Empire. So they're dealing with that cultural dynamic right now. And also, it's just interesting because sometimes they have conversations that we only see pieces of. Like, 
There's an example where Paul said, well, when I visited you, we talked about this. So you feel like you're seeing this one side of the conversation. I've been listening to the Bible Project podcast. Thanks for those of you who've recommended that to me. And I like the fact that one of the co-creators, John Collins, he wrestles with this. He's like, but these, I want more information. Like, why don't these letters tell me this? Why do they leave out that? Why do I not get the full conversation? And so as they've been working through it each episode, he keeps trying to remind himself that, okay, as his co-creator Tim pointed out, these are the apostles taking Jesus into their communities. So by watching them do that, we can see this pattern. We can see how did they apply Jesus to their context? How can we apply Jesus to our context? Because some things they talk about, they couldn't have because they weren't invented yet or situations were not like that. So today, we're going to read what's called household codes. And in this time, people gave all sorts of advice for how people should live in their homes. And so Peter is writing this from a Christian perspective. And the portions that we're reading today, he's saying now that y'all, remember, you all, have become believers, how do you live together? How do you conduct yourselves in your homes? So let's see what he did in his cultural context and see where it can apply to us today. We're going to be beginning in 1 Peter chapter 2. We'll be jumping around just a little bit today. Verse 18 starts right off with, Slaves in reverent fear of God, submit yourselves to your masters, not only to those who are good and considerate, but also to those who are harsh. For it is commendable if someone bears up under the pain of unjust suffering because they are conscious of God. But how is it to your credit if you receive a beating for doing wrong and endure it? But if you suffer for doing good and you endure it, this is commendable before God. Right off the bat, that's really comfortable. Great. Encouraging. Love it. Um, Because there's no mention of then slavery is bad. Like we just want him to say like slavery is bad. Like why? I guess he's assuming people know that because they're the ones living in it. They know it's bad. There is no mention for them to like rise up and and change the system and so i don't know these are the these are the pieces of scripture that we just struggle to read sometimes so two notes for us is number one peter because he is beginning this portion speaking to them he's honoring this group of people and all of the household codes of the day like aristotle he wrote to the head of households only. He spoke only to the men who were in charge of their household, who were masters of slaves, who had family members. But Aristotle, he was only writing to those men. And a lot of times, it was always about how to deal with your slaves. Like, that was the writing of the time. So Peter is digging in and saying, look, you who are ignored, who were not even treated as people in this empire, the whole entire economy depends on you. No one's talking to you. So I'm going to talk to you first. And so Peter, just by addressing slaves, is bringing honor to them and, and starting with them, starting first with them in the conversation. Number two is there's a different culture here. So we're in a time and place where we, I don't know, I was raised to be like, I have value. And I hope we all have had that told to us since we were young. We live in a society where we're like, You want to change things? Okay, let's do it. You can vote. You can participate. You can take action in our communities when we see systems that are broken. Now imagine none of that existing, which is hard to fathom. 
But in the time where Peter is living and these Christians are living, they're in systems and they recognize that they're awful. And yet they don't have any power to change or maybe they don't have the even idea that they could participate in changing a system. And as Tim Mackey from the Bible Project noted, you get crucified for trying to do that. The apostles are trying to advocate to all these small house churches to say, okay, starting here, starting what we're living under in this dictatorship, how do you begin within and how do we change how we respond and then move outward? So horribly, these passages, because they sit here and people took just the words out of context, not looking at the whole, not looking at the culture, these scriptures have been used abusively in our own country to justify slavery by believing people who say they believe in the Bible, who's very hard to deal with, that we have to take the word of God and have seen it twisted. So we're just trying to contend with that. And so we sit in that today, and the one hope that I heard someone point out that I liked thinking about is that here this letter, Peter wrote it, and all the church would have been gathered together, and a person would read the letter. Like, we got a, we got a letter from Peter the Apostle. We're all gathered here. We would read it out loud together. Sitting among them would be men and women, would be slaves and masters, people who owned people, people who were owned. And as they became Christians, they had service together. They ate lunch together afterward. They were told that they were seen in God's eyes as equals. So they're hearing these words. And so masters are hearing it too. They're being told, they're listening to Peter's words, and suddenly they're standing right in the perspective of the people that they own. And so we have to pray that the Spirit was moving and convicting them to know that this is how people are being treated, are suffering under this system. Next, we know that God is holding them accountable. Now, verse 21 is still in this section about slavery. However, based on the original language, we can see that Peter's kind of changing from here you are dealing with a system, and now he's looking at all the believers and is like, don't think that you're going to escape. This applies to all of us. So verse 21, consider this Peter speaking to the whole. To this, and this refers to suffering unjustly, to this you were called because Christ suffered for you leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. He committed no sin and no deceit was found in his mouth. These are quotes from Isaiah. When they hurled insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. By his wounds, you have been healed. For you were like sheep going astray, but now you have returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. So Peter's saying, we all need to look at this perspective of what it's like to suffer unjustly. Because he's like, you're called to that, which is like really great. What if somebody's like, hey, you want to become a Christian and believe in Jesus? Gonna suffer unjustly. That's just part of the list. Join us, would you? Like, that's just not really the, that's not the most motivating way to get people to join your group, right? But Peter's 
being honest here. He's like, yes, when you make this choice, things will happen. And so he's trying to say, but you know what? When it happens, it happened to Jesus. So there's a deeper connection that now you have with the Messiah because you're suffering. He also suffered and he tried to entrust himself to the God who judges justly. And so Peter's encouragement was that every believer would, could hopefully find some meaning within their pain. Theologian N.T. Wright noted, Peter isn't simply recommending that people remain passive while suffering violence, but that somehow allowing the suffering of the Messiah to flow through their own suffering would bring some redemption to the world. The next members of our household are spouses. 1 Peter chapter 3. Wives, in the same way, submit yourselves to your own husbands so that if any of them do not believe the word, they may be won over without words by the behavior of their wives when they see the purity and reverence of your lives. Your beauty should not come from outward adornment, such as elaborate hairstyles and the wearing of gold jewelry or fine clothes. Rather, it should be that of your inner self, the unfading beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is of great worth in God's sight. Anybody ever read this when you have a bad hair day? Because sometimes I'm feeling it. Okay, beauty's from within, right? So that we can get behind. We understand that Peter is trying to break some stereotypes here. And he's like, well, you've already heard about Aristotle and how he doesn't talk to slaves. Aristotle also thought of women as second-class citizens. Now, in this time, they were not considered property. That's a plus. We're getting somewhere. But these wives were often you know, seen as second class. So maybe you would be like, well, I'll get some value um, by the way I look. And that's still today, right? We sometimes put our value in how we appear. Any of us can feel that way. And it's hard. And so Peter just has this reminder that it's within and your value is already there. How God made you from the beginning, you have worth in God's sight. Now, also, Um, women who were from wealthy families, they didn't have to share their dowry with their husband. Um, They could choose a new belief system. So in this time, Greek philosopher Plutarch wrote about observing that some women were choosing mystery religions. And so he probably would have put Christianity in that. And so at this time, they just happened to say that a lot of people in this society, the women became believers first. They were drawn to the message of Jesus. And what Peter is advocating for here is, yeah, you could probably separate yourselves then from a person in your household who doesn't believe, but he was trying to advocate, like, just to show Jesus' love and, and just bring that joy out. And in that way, that you're sharing light. And so Professor Richard Vinson wrote that this would be some, there would be some tension here in society. He said, a Christian woman would have to explain why she no longer participated in her own ancestral religious rites. We talked about there was all kinds of gods being worshipped at at every moment of every day and, and every holiday. But he says, now she also has to explain why she's joining rites and honoring a crucified man that just meets in someone else's homes. Like, if you put it that way, it's like, yeah, it seemed very strange. You're just meeting at someone's home to hang out and talk about a guy who died on a cross. Like, that just 
It does sound odd when put that way. But Peter is just hoping to bring healing. He's saying, yes, you might feel tension. But he's always trying to bring wholeness rather than brokenness. Um, let's see. Oh, and finally, where we had the slave mention, and then we talked about how Peter was saying everyone is like slaves. Here we have um, in 1 Peter 3.15, where we had him say here to the women, women be gentle and, and gentle of spirit, which is like meekness. And that is a virtue Jesus gave in the Beatitudes, is that everyone should be meek. That's where Peter learned it. And later, so he starts here and saying, mentioning it to wives in a, in a split household, but then he says it to everyone. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have, but do this with gentleness and respect. So again, he's calling all believers to have the same meekness. He uses a small group of people and then extrapolates it outward. So again, everyone's listening, right? Everyone's listening to the same letter. They're hearing, okay, well, this is how people are told to live in the spirit of Jesus. Then they're learning, but they're also then it's coming back to them too. Peter's not just pointing fingers. Next, husbands have some instructions. First Peter 3 verse 7 says, Husbands, in the same way, be considerate as you live with your wives and treat them with respect as the weaker partner and as heirs with you of the grace, gracious gift of life so that nothing will hinder your prayers. So we can have conversations about, in society, like they were called weaker. Love that. Um, Many people are stronger than me. But here we have the word wives. So because there's wives and there's husbands, it is often translated wives. But the word could actually mean women, too. So one commentator was noting that, what if we took this, and it wasn't just husbands be considered of your wives, but look at it like, the man of the household was also in charge of daughters. He had full control of anything his daughter was going to do in the future. And also female slaves and how they treated their female slaves could be like property and could be using people and abusing people, or he could treat them with respect as co-heirs in Christ. So I appreciated the commentator was saying that Perhaps this was also not just a to wives, but to women. Be considerate of the women in your household. Because, again, break this stereotype of the culture. The culture said you can do whatever you want because these belong to you, right? While we said that the wives were not property, the daughters and the female slaves definitely were treated like property at this time. And so Peter is saying, you need to be different. The men of the culture, yep, they're going to be doing this. But you need to live knowing that you are equal to them, that you and them are all the same. We, we are heirs of Christ, and everyone has the same grace from Jesus. And again, there's additional accountability. He's like, so that nothing will hinder your prayers. It's just that note of like, God is seeing what you do. You might think you can get away with things, but God sees you. He keeps us all account- accountable. Finally, we have one more household person to check on, and this is God's house, and this is the leaders in God's house. So we're going to jump to 1 Peter 5 and read about the leaders in these house churches. To the elders among you, I appeal as a fellow elder and as a witness of Christ's sufferings, who also will share in the glory to be revealed. 
Peter says, be shepherds of God's flock that is under your care, watching over them, not because you must, but because you are willing, as God wants you to be not pursuing dishonest gain, but eager to serve, not lording it over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory that will never fade away. So in the same way Peter's trying to break stereotypes of the culture and trying to show a different way, what leadership are they seeing in the Roman Empire? It's about power. It's about violence if you don't get that power or that respect. It's about lording it over. It's about pushing people down and showing that you're in charge. And Peter's like, that is not the way of God. And that's not the way God's house is going to be led. If you're going to lead, you need to be like a shepherd. And that visual is what happens with sheep. Shepherds have to bend down. They have to care. If a little sheep is hurt, they got to they gotta bend down and, and like get real low. They got to clean off the dirt. They got to help a little hurt sheep. If it's lost, they have to go out of their way to find it. And God calls himself a shepherd. He's called Israel's leaders uh, shepherds in the past. And in Ezekiel, he was calling them out. This is what the sovereign Lord says. Woe to you shepherds of Israel who only take care of yourselves. Should not shepherds take care of the flock? I myself will tend my sheep and have them lie down. I will search for the lost and bring back the strays. I will bind up the injured and strengthen the weak. God's like, if you're not going to do it, I will. I will find a way to care for the hurting. So God is calling out again in every time period. He looks and he keeps account and he knows who's living according to his care and he knows who's not. Note that Peter called himself in this letter a fellow elder. That's what he said in that verse there where he says, to the elders among you, I appeal as a fellow elder. Now, if we're thinking about shepherd, then think about the last story that we read about in the Gospel of John. Peter's story is that when Jesus went to the cross, when he was arrested and people asked, are you with this man? What did Peter say? I don't know him. We talked a couple years ago in 2021. We were talking about just that that ache that Peter must have felt when he knew he broke this relationship, when he knew he denied Jesus and the shame that probably came upon him. And how Jesus restored him was to sit and to have a meal on the beach. And he looks at Peter and he says, take care of my sheep. Jesus asked Peter directly to be a shepherd. And that's how they were going to restore the relationship. And he believed in his leadership ability. And he still trusted Peter. So when Peter says, I'm appealing to you as a fellow shepherd, probably the people who received this letter had heard the stories. And they got it. They knew of his care and the ways he'd messed up before by just saying, yep, I wasn't always perfect. I'm trying to figure it out. You know what? I really appreciate we have just a small number of elders here at Echo Church, but we have people leading who care. And those are the first people who show up at outreach events, who will call and check on you, who will pray for you, who will 
fill in the needs where there's volunteers, where there, where there is none. And that's the kind of service that I just love that we've had here at Echo Church, that our elders care and that they bend down and that they, they get dirty. They're not above it all. So to sum all of this up, Peter is saying, okay, Christians, if you're going to believe in Jesus, then you're going to look different. We've talked about that in previous weeks. But how you're looking different, it even happens in your house. If you're a slave, persevere like Jesus. Revere God as your master, even when you have those who are unjust to you. If you're a believing wife, respect your husband and care for him. If you're a husband in charge of a household, respect the women in it. If you're called to be a leader of the church, don't act like a dictator. So all of these people, Peter's commissioning this week, slaves, spouses, and shepherds, and what are they stewarding? What is he asking them to steward? And I think all of that that we just summed up falls under the term humility because everybody's basically asking to think of the other person in the situation, to not live for your own glory or for your own purposes, but to notice the other people in your world and to care about them and to show love. And that takes humility. And we may expect that, yeah, we hear the word humility a lot in Scripture, and maybe we anticipate that when you open up your Bible, you're going to see the word humility. But truly, it really wasn't a valued concept. People in this time weren't really like, hey, go, go be less than others. Go out there and do that. No, we've already talked about the kind of leadership shown in this culture. So being humble was a new message. It was going to definitely look different than their neighbor's. But we said that Peter learned all of this from Jesus directly. And we've said how Jesus preached about meekness. And he, but he also lived humbly. Like he was falsely arrested. And that's a humbling situation. He, was, he wasn't married, but think about the respect that he showed women. And he included them as part of his disciples. And Jesus was a humble shepherd. He served the other people that he led. I always think of him washing his disciples' feet, trying to say, this is how you lead, humbly. So our goal, we said, is to then, okay, that was Peter's context. What do we get out of it today, 2022? How do we read these words and we gain something from them? Because we may not be slaves, but we all have bosses, people we're accountable to, and maybe some of them don't play fair. Maybe we work for people we don't respect. How do we live in that situation and try to honor God instead of the humans that frustrate us? We may not be, we may not all be spouses, but we all have relationships that we're part of, deep friendships. Maybe we are an aunt or an uncle or a cousin or a sibling. We have people in our lives that we may not always see eye to eye on, but we're called to be family together. How are we humbly caring for other people in those relationships God's given us? And we may not all lead the church as elders, shepherds, but we're all called as the body of Christ to serve into the church. We're all called to care for one another and check on one another and tend to the flock as fellow sheep. Yes, we live in broken systems, 
But how can we remain humble even as we try to fix those? We might make changes, but those still take a long time. So we endure, we persevere, we want our pain to make a difference. So here's the final thing to note. Just as we imagined the church gathering together and listening to the other people's, the whole letter of Peter, listening to everyone's challenges, whether they could relate or not, you can listen to what the husbands are being asked to do, listen to what the elders are being asked to do, and they could learn from listening to the way God was calling other people to live and to honor him. So how are we listening and learning from one another? I think a part of humility is leaning in and learning more. So when you meet someone and you ask them a question about what do you do, uh, maybe in this moment, rather than being intimidated by the answer or someone asking you and you maybe label them and you think, well, no, I can't relate to them because they're in this life situation and I've never done that before. Instead, lean in, learn more about them and see it as an opportunity to think, wow, that person is reflecting the image of God in a way I've never taken part in. They have opportunities and experiences I've never done before. So what is the way that they are actually living out God's calling in their lives? And we can learn from each other. If we're only reacting to the things that affect us, it's pretty isolating. We may not always get involved and step in when needed. If we only care about when we're hurting, that's when we usually react when the things finally affect us. But humility is about looking around and seeing, how is that issue affecting this person over here, this fellow person in the church with me? How are they being impacted by what's going on? And how can I take part? Yeah, I may not be able to relate to where their role is Exactly, but that doesn't mean we can't grow together. The best thing about the church is that it brings people together that you may not have become friends with just out in the world. You may never have worked at the same place. You may never have run into each other. But somehow, we're brought together, and we're all from very different backgrounds. But we're connected. We have the same common ground that we're creating in God's image that we're saved by the sacrifice of Jesus. And that's what brings us together. So I pray that we can step forward and lean in and learn more from one another this week. Will you pray with me? God, we thank you for your word, even when it's hard to grapple with. We thank you for the ways that you... Your spirit is living and active now and that you keep moving through us and challenging us to do new things today in our culture, in our context. How can we live like you? How can we live humbly? How can we care for others? And it's hard because you didn't drop us a new manual of how it's done. You trust us to make decisions and to learn and to look after you and to learn from each other and lean on each other. That's hard. There's a lot of mistakes we make, but we ask that you would guide us each day that we might look more like you today than we did yesterday. Thank you for making us a church and help us to glorify you as a body of believers, as a family of God. Help us to show your hope and your light in our context this week. 
Amen. Thank you for the gift of your attention today. If you ever want to join Echo Church in person, we meet on Sundays at 1030 a.m. You'll find us at 1301 East McMillan Street. That's in the Walnut Hills neighborhood of Cincinnati, Ohio, just up the street from our city's beautiful Eden Park. Find out more about us on our website, echochurch.org. Have a great week.